I'm Dr. Michelle Plaster, and you're listening to Between Two White Coats, a weekly podcast where we dig into key issues surrounding health and wellness. I'm a family medicine doctor, and my co-host, Amber Foster, is a family medicine nurse practitioner. In our combined 30 years in medicine, we've seen a lot. We are taking some of our biggest questions, obstacles, and patient-centered advice and wrapping it into a 20-minute weekly podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have found this podcast helpful, give us a five-star rating and review. This helps other people find our podcast. And make sure you share it with your friends. Thank you for your time. We look forward to serving you. Thank you for sharing your time with us today as we are so excited to have Grayson with us. Grayson is going to tell us his story as we continue to dive in to learn a little bit more about mental health and help people to understand that there is absolutely nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about if it just so happens that your brain is not doing all the things that you would like for it to do. As we've said in our prior episodes in this this season, that sometimes the organ that's not acting correctly is the brain. Mm. And to us, that is no different than if the organ that's not acting correctly is the liver or the heart. Um, what we would like to do is start by having you tell us who you are and a little bit about you, and then we'll jump into your story. Okay, great. Um, so my name's Grayson, as as Dr. Plaster so eloquently said, <laughs> and uh, I live in Atlanta. So I live in the in the city itself in Midtown near Piedmont Park, living that that young person life. Um, and I'm 26, recently graduated uh, with my Master of Divinity from Mercer University's McAfee School of Theology. That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. It is, that is yes. A That's a lot to fit on. You have to have a master so that it's I know, bigger right? and can hold the Like, name. do you have a plaque? That would be this big. Well, my dentist told me I had plenty of it. Yeah. <laughs> but we took care of it. Um, <laughs> so Master of Divinity is essentially just like... Uh, but how you all had to get a, an MD for to be doctors and Master Divinity is kind of like that for um, for ministry or for counseling, nonprofit work, academic work in the field of religion, theology. Um, so that's sort of where my interests lie. Um, anything related to social justice, anything related to theology, um, which is partially why I, I'm very happy to be here today, because I think talking about mental health um, in a non-stigmatized, honest way is a, a just thing to do. Um, but I also just, I love, um, being in Atlanta and taking advantage of all the beautiful things and fun things it has to offer, playing guitar, um, being with friends, just all the things that a quote unquote normal person would like to do. <laughs> right. And, uh, full disclosure, Grayson laughs when he calls me Dr. Plaster because we are cousins. Yes. <laughs> um, and I love him very much. And I'm so grateful that he is willing to share yeah. his story with us mm-hmm. um, because I just think it's a really impactful story. Thank you. Um, so take us to uh, where you were in life when it came to your attention that something just wasn't working right. So it was um, it was uh, 2013. Um, that was my freshman year in college. At the time, I was at Belmont University in Nashville. Um, my first time being away from home, um, my family all went to the same school that I actually ended up graduating from, Carson Newman University, also in Tennessee. Um, and so it was a, a pretty big deal, especially for my for my dear mother, um, <laughs> who is your cousin. My is, first cousin. First yep. cousin. Okay. Um for for her baby, I'm the youngest younger child of two, 
um, to go away to college. And I, you know, was dealing with the things that freshmen first years deal with. It's a hard time in life. And I think we should probably talk about that more too. Yeah. yeah. It is fun and it's expl- explorational, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. Well, it's transitional and it's grief too. Right. Very, yeah. very true. Yes. And it's grief that I feel like not to get too off track, but it's grief. I feel like you're not almost, you're almost not allowed to feel yeah. because everything around you is screaming at you. This is the best time of your life. Take every, every advantage of it. And it's like, but I'm also really sad. Yeah. Right. Um. So I'm sure that played into it. Lots of new feelings, new realities to process um, but it really wasn't until uh, I came out as gay in October of 2013, and then the after aftermath of that, um, that some tendencies I had before to just overthink things or to worry about things past the point that would be considered rational or normal, those tendencies with all of those factors started to, I noticed, transform into something that was painful that was I didn't know what it was I didn't know how to control it and I know that's not the the best means now but how to control it um and it really centered around like I remember the first time that I really was like something really strange is going on was actually me being um there's a thing called romantic OCD which I didn't know at the time um I wasn't like ah this is what's happening to me mm-hmm. um, with my encyclopedic knowledge of the DSM-5. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Grayson brings up the DMS, the uh, DSM-5, um, which it shows my age, was the DSM-4 when yeah. I was coming through school. <laughs> it has since been updated. But this is the diagnostic manual mm-hmm. for psychological or psychiatric illnesses. And so it sort of is the definition of mm-hmm. different things. And, and so th- it lets you know, like, oh, that's the diagnosis that I might fit. Right. Um, and so just to allow people to know the big words you're using. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> sister. And so, yes. And so talk to us about, uh, you were saying romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was me, part of the process of me coming to, to terms, fully accepting the idea and the reality of me being gay. Cause I think those are two different things. You can mm-hmm. accept a concept mm-hmm. without really, accepting how it's integrated into your the whole of you and the whole of your life w-h-o-l-e yes um, although my life did feel like a whole at the yeah. time yes, yes. <laughs> um and it was me feeling very normal uh attraction towards and feelings for this straight male best friend of mine conservative too who i didn't feel comfortable talking about it. it wasn't like hey I think I might be attracted to you and he's like I know I'm gorgeous you know <laughs> yeah. someone who would, it would have been a problem right. um, and so all of that pressure all of those questions um, of having essentially had a repressed sexuality for the past 18 years the first 18 years and then somebody like my sexuality was like a party guest who bursts in and just like everyone's like who invited this person um, and changes everything up. So I just started noticing that I could literally could not stop thinking about this person and mm-hmm. what it means for why I'm thinking about this person mm-hmm. and what could it mean if they found out and oh no, I'm thinking about this. I haven't been thinking about this in a while. Now I'm thinking about it again. And all of those that those what I now know to call um intrusive thoughts, obsessive thought patterns were they were intrusive where it wasn't 
as I know can be the case if I ever find a partner, um, where you just can't stop thinking about this person. It was, I can't stop and I would like to. And very much, Mm -hmm. I can't control my thoughts. Yes. I don't want this uh, thought in my head at this moment. I can't stop it. It's starting to scare me or overcome me or keep me from being able to do the things I need to do to function as a freshman in college or whatever your state of life is at that time. Right. Well, just what you were, when you were just saying that, like Mm -hmm. how your thought was, I was like, that seems exhausting. Yes. (laughs) Like, I was like, wow, like that, that must have been exhausting. It was. Thank you. Yeah, it very much was. Um, And it's really hard to describe even, you know, it's 2021. um, I'm eight years removed from that part um, but it, it, even when I wasn't like thinking the thoughts of this person, this person, what does this mean? What does this mean? It was almost like, you know, <laughs> you know how, when you cook with bacon, <laughs> you cook bacon and then your house smells like it for like the next two days. Grayson has not listened to our episode about healthy, healthy eating. eating. Oh, when you, when <laughs> yeah. you cook turkey bacon. Oh, yes, yes, we can relate yes. to turkey bacon. Sure. Turkey bacon. Yes. <laughs> As I know, that's only what doctors yes, eat. Yes, right. Of course, yes. yes. Um, when, you, when you cook low cholesterol, fair trade <laughs> turkey bacon, and it smells like it in your house. So it's like, there's no bacon turkey. Still there. Turkey cooking, bacon, yes. Cooking, but it's still here. Yes. That's kind of how the thoughts were. Like, even if I wasn't actively cooking the bacon, like thinking the thought, it lingered. The like the the, the thought of the thought was still there. It was like there was a ceiling in my brain for how much, like if if the normal ceiling's like here and these thoughts can just like move in and out and, and be fluid and, and operate as, as thoughts do neurotypically, which means normal brain function, um, then my ceiling was like this and the thoughts were just like ping-ponging. And there wasn't much room for anything else. And so to your point, it was really exhausting. And it it wasn't simply, um, and I'm, I'm jumping back and forth here, um, but it did, it did get to a point where it was actually physically painful, mm-hmm. um, where it wasn't simply like I'm feeling anxiety, which I know can be physically painful, but it wasn't simply an emotional thing. It was like actual headaches and yes. actual um uh, bodily responses. There's a couple of things that I, I really appreciate you saying. First, the physical presentation of what's going on in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, it is present for so many people. Mm-hmm. And there, I believe, are a lot of different uh, medical diagnoses that come from this. Amber and I both have the blessing of really keeping moving in life and not asking for help and just, Oh, we got this. Suck this up. We got I, this. I get that too. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, both of us, interestingly recognize when we've sucked up a little bit more than what we should, because <laughs> it will become a stomach. Ache. Yeah. Wow. Um, I yeah. had uh, stomach ulcers when I was in my master's and I couldn't figure out what was up. And I just internalized so much stress that it made me physically sick. Mm. Amber has suffered with lots of deaths in her family. Yeah. I, my dad, last year when my dad was so sick, um, mm. he had open heart surgery and had um, then he was diagnosed with cancer. And it mm. made me physically ill because I was yes. so worried. I would come to work all day and worry about my patients. And then I'd go home and worry about my dad. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I just worried. And when you <sighs> came to me and said, I can't eat, I can't eat. <laughs> and, and so I think that we get 
physical symptoms mm-hmm. from what's going on in our brain all the time. Mm. I also really appreciate you describing what it felt like in your brain, because I think anyone who has their brain doing something different than what they're used to mm-hmm. has a really hard time piecing together. Yes. <laughs> what is going on here? How would I even describe this to someone? And will the someone even get what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, they even believe me. Or yeah. judge me for it. Or judge me right. for it. Right, be scared of me because I'm scared of me. Yes, <laughs> yes. And how can I even articulate this or potentially make myself vulnerable to ask for help with it? Mm-hmm. And so it is, you know, to anyone who's having trouble describing what's going on, that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's hard to describe physical pain. It's mm-hmm. hard to describe a lot of things that go on in our minds and bodies. Mm-hmm. So and I, the- Go ahead. No, go right ahead. The the benefit of physical pain, as weird as that might be to say, is it's like, this is hurting. Yes. <laughs> when it's a, a mental, emotional, internal thing, it's like, this is hurting. Right. My brain is hurting. Like, right. It is. What is, it's something's going on. It's hard to, right. and when the area that articulates your thoughts is the area that's not working on your behalf, <sighs> it becomes even more difficult right. to figure out what's going on. When do you get help? Lead us to then, so you're in this place, you're gone to college, there's a lot of stressors, which this happens for a lot of people that um, you've you've been functional with a brain that wasn't always your friend. Right. And so when you, before, before we go forward with your story, let's reflect when you had the gift of hindsight, did you look back and say, oh, I had that a lot. But were there indicators when you were like, let's say a pediatric patient, like less than Mm. 18, did you have indicators then that you either masked or, you know, um, learned what people will say, well, coping skills? Mm. Did you learn? I'm just curious because that's a, at 18, we see a lot of mental health issues come up at that age. And it may be brand new. Yeah. And it may be something that now with all of the stressors of going off to college or a pandemic or whatever else may be surrounding someone. That I was very functional and I could handle that degree, but then it became a degree I couldn't handle. Mm. Um, So I I do want to say uh, to your first question that it wasn't an official diagnosis before I get into this question because I didn't get to the first one. Um, It was a friend of mine who had grown up with and had lived, was living with, is living with OCD. And I just was like, here's all the thoughts. And they are like, oh, it sounds like you have OCD. And it was the biggest relief. Mm. I was like, oh, that's what's going on with me. Thank goodness there's a name for it. Like, So I I did want to say that, that it was a friend um, and that I opened up to this friend. um, But to the the other question. um, So looking back, uh, there were, there were, I think, weren't, uh, not warning signs, but um, what was the language you used? I just used indicators, like little red flags. Did you have little red flags? So uh, a story for that, um, I remember, uh, well, I, I remember I used to be terrified of thunderstorms, um, which I think is, is pretty common, yeah. but it was like a level of, I, I can still remember how it felt to be as worried as I was, mm-hmm. um, which certainly means like my, there's an imprint somewhere in my brain of right. the chemicals left behind, the bacon smell left behind. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And so thunderstorms, I remember uh, there was a time we were at Hilton Head, me and my family, um, the the four of us, mom, dad, brother. And I think I was eight, nine, 10, somewhere in, in, in there. And I unfortunately um, had gotten a stomach virus from my mom 
and she got it before the vacation and I got it on the vacation. So thanks mom. Um, (laughs) I still remember. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so while they were off at the beach having a great time, I was in the hotel room, you know, posted up on a couch watching TV and going back and forth to the bathroom uh, intermittently. And the hotel phone rang and immediately my first thought was, oh my goodness, that must be the front office calling the hotel to let me know that my parents have been in a horrible car accident. (laughs) And so I remember um, like, then at the time I I hadn't lost my baby weight. So I was like kind of chunky puberty stretched me out for sure. (laughs) Um, uh, I remember like putting on one sock. Don't know why I didn't put on both, but I put on one sock, not shoes and walked on the black, like the, the, the hot black top to get to the hotel main office. But then like halfway through being like, this is ridiculous. Like you need Mm -hmm. to go back. But I think, the fact that I approached so much as a kid with catastrophizing, which means like making the worst case scenario, having worry that I couldn't shake or didn't have the wherewithal to be like, Oh, this is what's going on. Um, And I was a kid. I don't blame myself, but the fact that that was my response to so much, um, I think played could certainly be an indicator of a disorder in which anxious thoughts never leave you or are, are hard to manage. Thank you for that. Um, so your friend says, I've got this, sounds like what you have, and you feel like, oh my gosh, maybe there is a solution. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not just that I'm not controlling my brain, right? Right. Then what happens? So um, I believe, so this happened, um, like I mentioned, when I first started thinking something's really off, was like October, November, 2013, this was uh, January 2014, and it had gotten to a point where I, I remember, like, in the dorm I lived in, you could rent out classrooms, like, to have movie nights with your friends or study movie nights with your friends. <laughs> study. Right. Um, and I remember, like, gathering all of these, like, my Bible and my devotional and journal Um, Because as I learned, one way that maybe people with other mental illnesses, but certainly with OCD, sometimes it's like God must be ordaining this because there's no other reason for why I'm thinking about or acting like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I remember renting out the classroom and just like sitting in a corner and just crying. And so it had gotten to a point where I was like telling my mom, like in tears, like something, I don't know what's going on. And so when my friend, mutual friend, she, my mom recommended me to talk to this person. When this mutual friend told me this, I started using that language, almost like testing it out, Mm -hmm. but it felt so good and such a relief to have just even something that it could be as opposed to just, I am the most broken person in the whole world. And either that or God is doing this to me, something. And so I think the timeline was that was my first time ever seeking seeking therapy. And I used uh, Belmont's and many colleges and universities have this. They're on campus um, uh, psychiatric services. Uh, but I think I only went twice and they, he did provide some good advice. And um, but from there, I really tried to just soldier soldier on. Mm-hmm. I really was like, well, I have the language and it's not it was, it's, I feel like it's getting better 
Um, and then there were some symptoms and effects that because they weren't the worst of it, because I wasn't crying in a corner in a rented out classroom, that it wasn't worth bringing up or it wasn't worth uh, addressing. And so I, my personality is just to, this is yet another thing to, to be good at. This is yet another thing to overcome. This is yet another thing to push through. I'm an achiever. I didn't let my grades slip. I, so I must be okay because if I weren't okay, then I would be having bad grades. Right. So it's right. almost like I create the reality that helps me continue to not treat myself well. well. Did the therapist confirm for you, yeah, I think you have OCD, or were you just sort of existing with your, um, it seems to fit that? And If I remember correctly, he wasn't like, I think you do have this. Because, if, because as the years went on, I had to further confirm for myself, like, oh, yeah, this really is what's going on. And I don't know if that was the therapist or what I let them in on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember it being like, you have OCD, let's refer you and get you some medicine. Like that was way down the road. Gotcha. Um, and it was just something that I just lived with. And the summer following was really, really difficult. And I had all sorts of kinds of OCD. There's harm OCD where you are like afraid that you're going to hurt someone, even though th- it's just that you had like a, a fleeting thought that so many of us have, like mm-hmm. I could drive into oncoming traffic. No, I won't. Right. Um, so many kinds of OCD and it was just like, it was exhausting. And it was the whole summer of 2014 was basically defined by what was going on in my head, but then it kind of tapered off. And so it was something that I could manage and live with. And I think I still had some of that stigma around, like I was going to therapy, but wasn't like thinking I needed medication and it really wasn't until the summer of 2019, so just a few years ago, that a friend like said, why don't you just try medicine? And I was like, why don't I? Right. That's a great idea. Right. right. Do I wish for my life to be harder than it needs to? Or exactly. might there be a solution that exactly. I don't have to work so hard all the time? That's exactly it. I, I remember saying, I feel like I have to work for my joy. I feel like yeah. I have to work to feel at peace or... And it, in certain environments, it wasn't all the time, um, but in I think the places where I was most vulnerable or like was most seen, so with family, that was when it, the symptoms would be the most present. Um, which is interesting to me mm-hmm. because, which I guess being vulnerable, but um, it appears, and I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but like mm-hmm. you went on family vacations, like, you know, you kind of had like mom, dad, brother, like it's interesting to me that that is when the symptoms would come up. Is it because you could be more vulnerable at home or did you feel like pressure? Mm. Does that make sense? I think both. Okay. Um, I think there's, there was more of a pressure, especially on family vacations. Um, and the summer actually that I ended up getting medication, we went on a beach trip, not to Hilton Head, although that's where we continued to go. Um, this one was different where I was having, I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's a term for it, but I would say it's like issues OCT. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was, and still to some extent is like climate change. That is something which is understandably anxiety inducing, Mm -hmm. but it was something I literally couldn't stop thinking about. I would like almost categorize everything as like, that's going to drive us closer. This target is full of stuff that none of us needs. And this is going to bring us closer to the brink. Like that is not night. what I think when I go into target. Not so, right? Right? <laughs> not too I'm like, my, now I'm like, I think I do need all this stuff. <laughs> and I'm going to spend, spend money. You don't need. You right. don't, you don't um, need. And so I remember getting to the beach and looking at the water, which is quote unquote, supposed to 
be like so therapeutic mm, and right. calming and thinking, hmm, this is what's going to flood us in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and we laugh because we can't yeah. laugh. Yes. Yeah, yes. You're, you're doing great. But yeah, um, I can't imagine. It's, yeah, that is that is honestly where I think people can have a lot of insight to when I'm having this thought that I go, okay, that's not what is supposed to happen in this situation. It's a good time to say, and it doesn't have to. It doesn't have right. to, and it doesn't have to keep happening. I should be able to look at this beach and feel the relaxation that this beach is supposed to bring me, but I'm not. And so there's more that should be done. Mm-hmm. And I hear you saying and appreciate you saying that you had good days, that you had days where you thought, trucking through just fine, right. and that you were highly productive, mm-hmm. and you're getting good grades, and you're on paper looking like it's all fine, so it must all be fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's like a diabetic saying, I have days where my sugar's fine. But then we get their A1C and their three-month average is not fine not at all. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? It's still eating up your kidneys and it's still doing damage. Right. You know, it's you're allowed to have good days and still know that you can do better. Mm. Um, and that it doesn't have to be that hard on the bad days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, huge message to people Don't be ready to do something and then have a good day and think, oh, I don't really need to do anything at all. Mm. If it's vulnerable, it's difficult to get in front of someone and really admit that I think I need something more. Yeah. I'm maybe not as good as I'm putting out there Mm -hmm. or or believing even myself. And and at this point, and that's a very good point. And at that point, when um, the friend recommended former friend, but they did do one good thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, they, right. (laughs) When they just said the thing so simply, why don't you just try this? Um, I had been in the best, most consistent therapeutic relationship of my life. Like it was on uh, Mercer's campus and it, we really got into things and I could be fully on, it was a great relationship. And I think that ironically kind of played into it too, mm-hmm. where it was like, well, I'm, I'm, uh, it, it's, it's like I was playing self-care grades, mm-hmm. like, well, I exercise and I eat well and I get enough sleep and I'm going to therapy and I meditate sometimes and I <laughs> do all these things. And so it, it, it got to the point where I was like, and that's okay for that to not be enough. Like, yes. but I was using it in a way of like, the the we're controlling it yes part of the ocd Mm -hmm. check 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 and all the stuff that's fed to us and if you do all these good self-care things your brain will be okay Mm -hmm. and i that's not how it works you know if you eat right and exercise you can still have diabetes Mm -hmm. right if you do all the great self-care and medicate and and meditate and you do all these other things it doesn't mean that it's going to put you into the place that life still isn't harder than what it should be Mm -hmm. So you went to, at that point, um, what do- what kind of doctor did you see and how did you decide to do that visit and mm-hmm. how- what happened in that visit? So let's see. So the friend, the former friend, <laughs> um, told me that I think in, I want to say July of 2019, June or July of 2019. Um, and there were also, not I'm not going to get into this, but there were a lot of life circumstances unrelated to OCD. Um, that were certainly making it uh, worse. It's Which I think really yeah. brings us back to that freshman year. A lot of people are high functioning and they're just doing great in life. Yep. 
And then it's those life circumstances where you realize it was already hard. Yes. Now it's too hard. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you got to be existing in the life's okay. And then when it gets hard, you're, you're okay. Mm-hmm. But when you're working really hard to keep it together and, and you're keeping it together, that doesn't mean it's not really hard. And when you can feel that it's really hard, it's still a good time to go ask for help before those life situations yes, come in. Absolutely. So you have life situations again, which has really thrust you into realizing things that you had not had to realize as much prior mm-hmm. and went to your primary care. Or... So actually um, went, I think I just Googled uh, psychiatrists in the Atlanta area. Um, and of course did the, the filters, I think probably psychology today, their, their database for therapists, psychiatrists and other mental health professionals. And of course did the filters for OCD, um, who's in network, all of those things. Um, and saw one who was in the, I think Dunwoody area, um, and was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see if this is, this is what I, if this is what I need to do. Um, and visited and explained just some of the, some of the things I explained earlier, um, and just a brief history of, of my OCD and me. Sounds like a, <laughs> a, a commercial. Yeah. A bad romantic comedy. <laughs> um, and we talked about it and at that, I think at that meeting, um, and I also explained, uh, I think this is probably important that a cousin on the other side, um, of my family, uh, had taken medication for depression at one point. I just knew that that had happened Mm -hmm. and thinking about like, wow, I mean, I think so many people in my family probably have undiagnosed something. Absolutely. Um, especially with, uh, you know, my granddad. So my, my dad's dad, having been a veteran of world war II, like who knows how much yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just and had... this is true of so many families because a generation ago we didn't talk about or right. diagnose this and um still you know people who aren't diagnosed um you and i share a relative who has hoarding ocd yes and uh however you know we just called those people hoarders <laughs> and yet that is a kind of subcategory of ocd mm-hmm. and so there are people that exist in our families that don't have or share that they have this diagnosis so i think that's true of every family yeah you have 25 percent of the world struggles with some mental illness then don't you think it'd be 25 percent of your family <laughs> you know, it sort of applies right so um, that was actually helpful for me just to be like, because I feel like if, if, if you think, wow, I had no say in this, like my, my aunt on that side and all of these people on that side probably had these and I'm cursed with, or it's like, wow, like this is just, this is the hand I was dealt and in the same way that this is the body I have and I try not to do things to harm it. This is just what I, the, the context I, I have been given and thank goodness there are ways to address it. So all that to say, I told him about that history. Um, and I think at the time he said, all right, let's try Lexapro. Um, and I take the generic version, Escitalopram, yep. which I like to say, cause I'm proud of memorizing it. <laughs> um, and we started out with five milligrams. And so it's a very tiny pill. Um, and so you would cut it in half and then it was like a, a half moon. And then for the first week or two, I tried Lexapro and understood that this may not be the best fit. But fortunately for me, it was. Um, I had very mild 
um, symptoms as it integrated. I just felt very emotional all the time. And like, which is very common. Yes. Like I warned people of that. Yes. It's a common side effect when you first start medication. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I felt like anything like a commercial, uh, a, a puppy would like make me cry, <laughs> which is still kind of true even when I'm on medication. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, um, might be TMI, but I think it's important to note, uh, SSRIs, which stands for serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Thank you. (laughs) Doctors. Um, that is the category that Lexapro and other, um, similar antidepressants are, can sometimes, uh, make orgasming more, more difficult. And I noticed that as a side effect. So there are a lot of sexual side effects and, and a lot of people will stop taking the medicine because of that. And then that's another vulnerable, difficult thing to talk about. Well, and it's weight gain too. So I always tell patients, if you're going to gain weight and you're not able to have a normal sex life that you were accustomed to, then you're not going to take my pill. So we've got to talk about it. Right. Wow. And, and so it is super important for you to get back in with your medical provider who prescribes to you and say, guess what? I don't like this one because it's causing me to not have an enjoyable sex life or it's causing Mm -hmm. me to gain weight and I don't want to do that. Um, so then there are other options. Right. And so fortunately for me, um, TMI, those subsided eventually. (laughs) And that's another really important point is that initially when you start medicines, your body's very naive to it and you'll have a lot of side effects that go away in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's sometimes good to say, you know what, I'm just going to commit to this for a month before I make a lot of hard decisions. Of course, if it's making you feel terrible, we don't want you to keep taking it. Of course. But a lot of people will, at the first time they get a headache, I don't want to take this. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's not working because I didn't feel good tomorrow. It takes three, four weeks, sometimes yes. six weeks mm-hmm. to get a maximum effect. Sometimes people at two or three weeks will, will think this isn't working. We often like to start, like Grayson was saying, break this tiny pill in half. We like to start at a low dose because mm-hmm. you're more likely to have fewer side effects at the lowest dose, but it's less likely to be therapeutic. Right. And so <laughs> we've got to get you used to it. And then we might want to titrate it up. And so Amber and I always like to say, come back in in three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. Let's keep seeing each other regular mm-hmm. until you tell us that you feel like you want to feel. And on the opposite side of that, if five milligrams works, I don't want to keep titrating you up either. Like exactly. I want the right. you know, least dose, the, most effective. Exactly. Let's do the lowest, most effective mm-hmm. um, so that we mm-hmm. can, because you always have potential of more side effects yeah. at a higher dose. Right. And so I'm now, um, and, and have been since 2019, um, been 10 milligrams a day once daily so in the morning i get my multivitamin and i get my lexapro acetalopram and (laughs) uh just take the pill and um i do want to mention um what you said at the beginning that the pandemic um the ongoing pandemic but certainly when it was more new and we were in lockdown and hand washing was such a a a topic of concern um and i i also do want to say that I also didn't, um, so tangent to the tangent, didn't um, identify what I had, what I was experiencing as OCD because of how it's so popularly mis, mis, uh, misconstrued. On yes. the movies. On the movies. Uh-huh. Washing your hands on the movies. Locking Checking the doors. Checking right. the stoves. Right. What is that? Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah. And, um, oh, I don't remember the movie. movie but is. yeah. But yeah, if you don't flip the light switch 13 times, you don't have OCD. It's not OCD. Right. Yeah. And it's it's cute. It's like, oh, that's just a little quirk he has. Yes. Um, or people will use the term OCD almost as a compliment to themselves because they're a perfectionist. So right. if I'm a perfectionist, oh, I have OCD. Oh, right. I have OCD. And we, and we all throw that around. Oh, I must be OCD. Or I'm obsessed with this new show. Yeah. Right. Right. 
night. It's like, oh, is it keeping you up at night? <laughs> Are you having intrusive thoughts and crying in a corner? No. Exactly. <laughs> so were, did you receive the diagnosis of OCD when you saw the psychiatrist? Um, I think I gave them that. I was uh-huh. like, I think this is OCD. And they were like, they I were think you're right. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so that was really the first time that a like psychiatrist put down on paper This patient has OCD or is experiencing obsessive compulsive disorder, Um, which what I was getting at is it's sometimes called pure O OCD, where it's more just the thoughts themselves or the compulsions. The the obsession without the compulsion. Yes, but it's still OCD. And so that was difficult for me because I didn't have those external markers. Um, So that was the first time, even in therapy with a psychologist, um, with a therapist, like we talked about it and we just kind of accepted that that was what it was, but it still wasn't like on the form officially right. until the the psychiatrist uh, agreed with what I told them and then prescribed the medication, um, said the same thing three to four weeks. Uh, we'll up your dosage if we need to. They did. Um, and the side effects subsided. And now it's just a, a blessed and regular part of my life. Um, I actually, um, as weird as this may sound, and I do want to acknowledge, you know, I had support of family. I lived in a stable environment, had stable income. So had I had a harder time in 2020, I would not have been as okay as I was. I know. I was thankful that you got on medicine in 2019. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. I mean, I couldn't imagine. (laughs) Yes. And so to that point, I, with all of those, you know, external factors and privileges and, and blessings in mind, um, my mental health in 2019 was far worse than it was in 2020. I was able to approach 2020 with, you know, a healthy amount of anxiety, a healthy amount of stress, because it doesn't make you numb. If it does, you probably need to try something else. It doesn't make you superhuman, superhuman, where you only feel the good things, but it, it helped me just to be able to process, put where in my brain, where these thoughts need to go and can can relate to them and not have them dominate over me. And be so exhausting. So exhausting. And so I was like, wow, if I am feeling, if I can feel at peace within my own world, even when the world around us is chaotic to say the least yes that i think is a sign of growth and of mental health where it's not like this isn't affecting me but it's like am i okay am i processing this well okay and there is something going on there is crisis i accept that but i am not so laid out by it i'm not so um unable to escape it even in my own mind yes and so, and that is a direct result of having been on medication, continuing to take it, uh, adopting healthy practices, having been in therapy. Because it's not, you know, I think if I had just taken the pill and that be the fix, I wouldn't be as healthy. Right. If I had just done therapy, I wouldn't be as healthy. If I, so it's, I see the, the, the medication as just one piece of a larger wellness puzzle, so to speak. Absolutely. And that proved to be true in 2020 where I was healthier mentally than I was before the pandemic. <laughs> right. And so, and it went to say that you could deal with those extra stressors yes. that life hands us no matter mm-hmm. what, 
when you had maximized your resources. Yes, I could I could handle the stress more. And also it, other things like not watching too much news, like right. choosing a news regimen that is helpful to me since so much of my OCD became how wrong the world can be. Right. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's all a process and it, the pill, like I said, wasn't the, the magic bullet. It was, uh, a tool, a tool. tool. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, Grayson, thank you for taking us through that. And thank you for telling your story with pride. And I hope that other people hear this and realize that there is nothing about our stories to be ashamed about. Nothing. Um, and we are going to continue with Grayson next week in our next episode. And we're going to talk a little bit about how does Grayson get to a place that is not a stigma view of mental health. Um, and we're going to dig a little bit more into OCD. And what is it really? It's mm-hmm. not when all of your pencils have to be the same. <laughs> it's, it's more difficult than that. Um, because I think people have a mis view of what OCD is. Mm -hmm. So let's dig in a little bit to understanding OCD a bit better as well. We want to thank Grayson for sharing his story with us today. And we hope that you'll tune in for our next episode when we hear more from Grayson. We like to finish every episode on a positive note. And today's Tell Me Something Good is that there is help available. No matter what you're going through, there are so many opportunities to heal. We believe strongly that light always comes into the dark. So whether it is through therapy or medication or that friend that loves you enough to help guide you to help, know that there is light that will come into your dark. We thank you for joining us today. And until next time, take care of yourself.